0: The soul of summer in Columbus: the long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars, the just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson, and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at ExperienceColumbus.com/liveforward.
2: It's a Razzball Podcast. It's a Razzball Podcast. It's a Razzball
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Razzball Prospect Podcast, powered by Prospects Live. That is Lance, Jason Waddell, myself, Matt Thompson, Jason Bedini's new venture where we're covering nothing but the league League's day-by-day, day, every level. We're going to be doing more of that today on the episode, this podcast. Lance, Woo. what's going on, my man? How are you? I'm good, man. How about you? A little, uh,
2: we're Saturday morning here. You know, We've been adjusting and yeah. jumping around, so bright and early. got my coffee. I think you look like you can get your coffee, too, so um as opposed to the late night adventures where we're uh going to sleep this is the very early venture where we're waking up so <laughs> or i'm waking up at least maybe you were up a while
1: <laughs> no 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 i slept in. i was up i was up pretty late last night doing some writing doing nice. the preparation doing my orioles list which i yes. think we're not gonna we're not gonna go into the orioles today but we're at least gonna talk a little bit about a couple of players yep. uh one dl hall who yep. uh I had kind of thrown at at Lance a little bit, and I, I think you were a little surprised at, at how uh, how strong uh, yeah. Paul looks and how good he was this year. I think it's funny he's one of those guys that th- sort of slid under the radar a little bit. So we'll talk a little bit more about him. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know we're we're winding out here, winding down here. We finally have full seasons done. We're in the playoffs. Minor leagues are done. You know, even instructs, they're going on, but I feel like a bulk of the real information was sorted full through the first two to three weeks in instructs. That's tapering down a little bit. We have the AFL coming up uh, within a week or two, right? Is yeah, two I believe weeks? Uh,
2: middle of October. I think that starts pretty in sync with like the Winter League, Dominican Winter League.
1: Exactly. You get the Dominican Winter League, and then that sort of just folds into the offseason, and then we get going. We're going through all 30 systems over on Prospects Live. Uh, earlier this week, Jason uh, Woodell had posted his Atlanta Braves top 30, which was excellent. Of course, uh, Matt Thompson did the Arizona Diamondbacks top 30, another excellent post. Oh, Big yeah. shots to both those guys. Uh, Matt and I had worked together to rank the top 75 hitters uh, in the AFL. So there's a lot of the the sort of digging through. I'll say the dirt at this point. Um, this is when we sort of become archaeologists of the season that's <laughs> passed and sort of dig because there's all you, you could pay attention to all the stuff that's going on, right? But you're just so inundated with information. Your mind is just not strong enough to take in all the games, all the players that are doing well, not doing well, all the storylines, all the injuries that I feel that then you can dig in a little bit deeper on some of these guys. There's no information and developments really coming out. And you can really sit back and maybe digest the entirety of the season. Find some players that maybe you overlooked and then you sort of put those guys on your radar. They're players that you're going to be paying a little bit more attention to potentially in spring training, going into the off season. And uh, this is a great exercise. This is one of my favorite times of the year because um, mm-hmm. the, the pressure is off to sort of um, be the, be on top of the next guy. Make sure that you're on top of the short season and rookie ball guys and you know, the developments. We know the wild swings and value those guys can have. Now we can sort of sit back. We can look at the season we can digest it better, get a better understanding of some of who these players are, and uh, you know maybe really start to battle with ourselves as to who's ranked ahead of who, who we like better, what we see going into 2019 as potential breakouts, guys that can bounce back. And uh, I think we're going to be talking about some of that today. So I don't know. There's a lot of other storylines going on here, Lance. I don't know if there's anything you want to mention on uh, – my, my my mini rant I just threw out there. Or if you want to talk a little bit about uh, the Carter Stewart situation.
2: Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about the Carter Stewart first. We'll talk about that. We'll jump into uh, a question you posed. One one position player, one pitcher to start a franchise. Who would you take? We're going to discuss that a little bit. Then we're going to go into a couple disappointments from 2018 and finish off with that D.L. Hall overview. Um, maybe a little bit more of the Orioles system, too, as you mentioned. But I don't want to dig into that too much. I was just more so... Uh, not taken aback, but a little surprised at, at how highly touted D.L. Hall was. Because I remember him being a high school kid for a while. Only 20 years old, so we'll dig into that later in the show. Uh, Carter Stewart first. Yes, this was a article written by Ken Rosenthal um, from The Athletic. I saw it going around. I thought it was interesting. Um, it seems like he's filed a grievance against the Atlanta Braves, um, claiming that they did not offer the minimum, um, which allows them to receive in tw- the 2019 draft the pick slot that they... Uh, Used to draft Carter Stewart, basically as a compensation for not signing him, which is standard. Um, but it's interesting because I don't, I don't think there's too much precedent for this. Maybe there is, maybe not, with this high of a pick. Um, so it's obviously a little more relevant because it's a guy like Carter Stewart who I think everyone thought was going to sign. Um, I thought the Padres were going to take him at seven overall. They ended up going Ryan Weathers instead. But I like Carter Stewart a lot. I think you did too. Really nice curveball. Really fun kid. He had really good personality on a lot of the interviews he did on Perfect Game. It just seemed like he was the guy. He was the pitcher that I liked. The high school pitcher specifically that I liked aside from Libertor. But the grievance is interesting. He's basically claiming that they didn't offer him the minimum. 40% of the slot value has to be... Uh, is the minimum. If they go under that, then I, don't, I believe they do not receive the subsequent c- pick in the prior year. But his slot value was at $4.98 million. Um, and so the minimum they the Braves had to have offered to retain this pick in the subsequent season was $1.9 million. Um, and the interesting thing that relates more so to the discussion I think we're going to have very briefly is just that he's seeking to become a free agent. So and the advantage for him here is that it's obviously much more lucrative for him to sign a multi-year deal now at the age of 19 or 20, or however old he is. As opposed to going Juco and returning to the draft next year, which I believe is the plan that I think is going to happen, most likely, is that he will go Juco and and jump into the draft next year. Um, Because from Rosenthal's article, it doesn't seem like he's going to win this grievance, but... I guess that the cases are, one, that Carter Stewart has to prove they didn't offer him $1.9 million and the Braves have to prove that they did. I assume. That's probably—I'm um, not exactly sure what the standards are around it, but it seems like that's going to be relatively tough. I'm not exactly sure how public all this information is, how public communication is. I don't know if they can, like, subpoena emails or whatever. Like, I really have no idea. I just find it very interesting. I know the article by Rosenthal didn't dig too deep into that, but I, I assume that there has to be some investigation done in regards to what exactly was offered to Carter Stewart unless— um, I, I don't really see why he'd he'd kind of make this up unless he just wants to kind of sign a multi-year deal now and get a lot more money. Um, they, from the brave side of things, what they tried to do was underslot him a little bit to sign Zach Cass later on. Um, so they underslot Carter Stewart higher up because he's a high schooler risk, whatever, whatever, and then they they'd <laughs> pay a little more. Either. Yeah, I know. And then they then they pay a little more for Zach Cass. And the reason this came about, I believe a l- little bit more heavily, was that there was wrist ligament damage discovered with carter stewart and that i believe Mm -hmm. deterred the braves making a substantial offer so stewart had the incentive to kind of go back in the next year's draft where the slot value we'd probably get closer to slot value especially he's healthy especially pitches well in juco which i would expect him to um you don't see too many juco guys go in the first round either we saw nate pearson do that in 2017 Uh, carter stewart obviously would be on that path in 2018 um the question i want to ask you ralph and i think we discussed very briefly is that if he does become a free agent what exactly does he get paid i found this very interesting because there's I, again, I don't really know the precedent behind really young guys like this with the ability to sign multi-year deals. So, um, uh, what do you think he gets paid? What do you think he's getting? I'm I'm really interested uh, to hear your
1: thoughts on this. I really think it just it's going to depend on how the the contract is structured. This is sort of unique from the sense that, you know, is he going to be subject to uh, a signing bonus left over from the draft? Is he going to be handled almost like an international prospect? Is this guy just going to be declared a free agent now? What I had sort of said off air to you is if if he's declared a free agent and he then goes through the pre-arb and arbitration process and all that sort of stuff, I think that significantly changes what the bonus is because you're more willing to invest in that player upfront for a big signing bonus the way we saw with Cuban players for Mm -hmm. years and years and years with a guy like that that we know is an elite top 10 talent. It's going to be difficult to get him. You're, if he goes back into the draft, you're going to be subject to, does he drop to our slot? Are we going to be able to maybe slot him down and, and you know, with bonus money from other guys that we can package together, whatever. And then you're subject to a lot of other things where if it's just the open market, I, it's going to be like an Otani situation where mm-hmm. almost every team should be able to have a viable shot of signing Carter Stewart outside of the Atlanta Braves, of course. I mean, I imagine at that point that bridge is burned. He's not going to sign there. Um, so that's a big question with how the money gets slotted. If it's, if it's one of these things where it's against the, the, dra- the draft pool or, or the international, it's going to be what's left over. Teams will trade for money. Um, maybe he then gets like a five or $6 million bonus, slightly bigger than what he got. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, we all see what went on here. Um, the Braves knew that this was, um, a, a win-win for them. If they don't sign Stewart to below slot, aren't able to, 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 uh, uh, slot pull, uh, Hess with, with money from earlier slots, mm-hmm. they lose it and they get a, a top 10 pick next year. Right. I mean, yep. he was drafted at what eight, right? So now they get nine next year in a pretty nice draft. Yep. And it's it also, and it also works, works in their favor because they really didn't necessarily need to pick as much this year as they need it next year, where they're heavily going to be influenced by, uh, the Capolella, uh, uh, penalties and all this sort of stuff that really came into come into full focus over the next two off seasons. This off season was sort of a half measure. So I, I think we all see what happens. Okay. And it's one of those things, and we have a lot of this just going on in the world where, Unfortunately, we we can't prove it. There's no way that we can prove what the Braves did unless we have emails and the Cardinals have their guy get <laughs> in there and hack into the email or server or something. Um, we don't have any way to really prove that. So, though it's pretty obvious that what they did to this kid was really, really crappy. I mean, they more or less took this kid's opportunity to start his professional career at 18, his livelihood, his ability to earn Five to six to seven million dollars, depending upon how much someone signed him for. And I think we were all of the mind. This was one of the best starters yeah, coming into the draft. If you made a case that this was the best arm, projection wise, because of that plus plus um, breaking pitch, I, I don't think any of us would be like, "Oh, that's a crazy thing to say." That wasn't a hot take, you know. Mm-hmm. So, he this kid obviously wanted to sign because if he didn't want to sign, he would have slotted back down like a guy like K- Kumar Rocker. Though I, I know was maybe a, a tick below Carter Stewart in terms of his prospect value, they were still pretty close. He was a top 20 talent. Kumar Rocker, if he wanted to sign probably would have gone in the top 20 and said he's going to Vanderbilt. Yep. So I think we see the way things work. And it's obvious that Stewart, Stewart, Carter Stewart was giving all of the warning, all of the signs, the signals, the flags, that this is a kid that wanted to sign. He wanted to start his professional career he wouldn't have filed this grievance if that was the case. If you wanted to go and play at Mississippi state, didn't want to sign with the Braves, whatever it was, uh, that would have been it. They, they offered him the bare minimum and essentially used this wrist ligament injury, which it didn't seem anybody else knew about or was aware of leading up to the draft. Um, and even the coverage of that injury was a little bit kind of, there, there seemed to be some raised eyebrows and some skepticism around how, how it happened. um, they use that leverage against him to essentially do what they wanted and, and try to force him to either take a number below slot at 40% of the slot value, um, or or potentially uh, or potentially get a pick next year. So mm-hmm. I think I I think legitimately in reality, if we're all honest, we we think that he has a case, but unfortunately, based on the law and the fact that you need to have hard evidence and you got to be able to prove things, I just don't think he's there.
2: Yeah, so. and that's what that's what Rosenthal reported to, is that he didn't think he was kind of there either, which is unfortunate, but I mean... I guess it is what it is in that respect. Um, And the last thing that I thought was interesting within this is that Carter Stewart actually switched agencies from a small one, I believe, to the Boris Corporation, which is one of the biggest ones. Good for him. Um, Good for him. Yeah, right after he was not able to sign and make a deal with the Braves. So I thought that was interesting. It was a little tidbit that was in the back half of that Rosenthal piece on the athletic. Um, That
1: had to be the easiest sale for Boris of all time, by the way. (laughs) You would have (laughs) signed. Look how bad this guy screwed this up. The Braves wouldn't even have drafted yet if I was hay- – I mean, yeah, like, uh, that's what Boris would have done, you know? Oh, you're spot on. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> funny stuff. But there's a lot of guys like – I mean,
2: people always wonder, I think that – I don't want to get agency stuff, but people always wonder like, oh, why does everyone go to Boris? doesn't seem like a good guy, whatever, this and that. And it's like, well, the reason they go to Boris is because he's extremely pro player and he always gets players yeah. like value and money and the money they want and – he's a really hard negotiator in that respect. It's like, well, it's very logical that everyone goes to the board's Corporation if they have the best uh, precedent in terms of getting players what they should be paid or, uh, you know, veteran contracts and guys that are a little older that teams are just going to pay to pay, you know, as of basically, you know, you're after, after your prime, but we're still going to pay you because of whatever reasons and stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> board strikes once again and gets a a really good player here. In um, Car Stewart, and a guy I like a lot, and a guy I think a lot of people have on 2019 draft boards. If he does not win this grievance and does not become a free and goes to Juco, goes in the draft next year, I think he's about a consensus top 10, top 15 guy once again. So I'll be interested to see how he lines up. And it's actually a little bit more of a weaker pitching class, too. So he might even be a little bit higher than that, especially if he pitches well in Juco. And uh, I guess scouts like what they see. Um, Ralph, let's jump into. A question you posed to me, if you had one position player and one pitcher to start a franchise with, who would you take? This is an interesting question because it's not really fantasy-based, it's more franchise-based. And I think it actually kind of relates back to um, the Lidom draft. We were looking at the Dominican Winter League draft where we were looking and interested because there were some picks there that we thought were a little more defensive value and positional-based than they would be otherwise in the prospects that went um, and ahead of some of the other prospects we really like, like Suli and like Estuaries, or or basically defensive star stalwarts and, and guys who could hit okay, but not necessarily ones that were able to have impact bats, especially in a in a kind of shortened kind of time window like the Lidl- like the Winter League, excuse me. Um, so I, I figured we can exclude Vlad from this, Ralph, because I think he's kind of a lock. Um, even unless, unless you want to debate off it and say that you'd rather go with the guy who's a premium position, which I think is completely fair, but I, I feel like I would definitely back my way into Vlad if we had to. So kind of eliminate him. Let's say you can't. Start yeah. With let's him.
1: eliminate Vlad and let's even eliminate like, Kopech. Eloy.
2: yeah, I'd even, uh, maybe yeah, even, even, too, even Eloy. Take well, I
1: wouldn't start it with Kopech at this point because of the injuries. Oh, right? And I think some of that yep. changes the outlook a little bit, but Good point. Good point. yeah, I say let's, let's remove Eloy as well. Cause we know they're going to be in the majors next year. Um, though, I think the guy that I'm probably going to go with, or I am going to go with, uh, I would have taken over Eloy. I don't, I wouldn't have okay. taken him over Vlad. I'm not Keith law, but, um, I take him over Eloy and I actually am in the midst of a, uh, 20 team dynasty, excuse me, 30 team dynasty startup, $125 million salary cap, uh, based off real life contracts with the exception of players that are prospects are free. And then players within their first uh, five years in the league. So after they exceed 150 at bats or 50 innings, um, it's then 500,000 for year one, 500,000 year two, raises to a million in year three, three million in year four, and then five million in year five. So um, in the this type of a league, some of the guys like a uh, Manny Machado. Or a Bryce Harper or some of the bigger contract guys like Stanton really drop down to like the third, fourth, fifth round because there's so much uncertainty and there's such a massive chunk of your potential salary cap. So I actually did make this pick. I started my team with Fernando Tatis Jr. I had the 20th pick in the draft. Um, we're all a major league team on the Detroit Tigers so uh, I am uh, I am drafting Tatis Jr. So Emily Walden can can write about the Tatis Jr. And we can get lots of great interviews from Emily. But either way, yes. that's the guy that I'm starting a team with. I would have taken Tatis Jr. Eloy uh, Vlad went two, Acuna went one, um, three was Eloy, uh, and then there were various other you know young players and you know Mookie and all those sort of guys. Obviously, went J.D. Martinez one a few picks before me. Um, so at twenty, I ended up taking Tatis, and I probably would have taken him in the top ten. Uh, just because shortstop power, um, some speed, and I, I just think he's a he's a he's a surefire guy. I'm going to get that high end stuff, and I'm going to get him for potentially six years because that first year of control is free. I'm going to get him for six years plus. I can then franchise him for two or three years while he's under control. I could potentially have Tatis Jr. at a very reasonable number uh, for the next decade. So. I think with that in mind, trying to think like a GM, because that's a big part of this, is that you're trying to stay within a budget and everything else. These Jr.'s my guy. I think, and I think in reality, you get the defense the defensive value that he's gonna stick there. He's got the arm that at very worst, if he gets he grows off to short or you have another shortstop that you feel can really play the position well in the in the system, he can easily move to third. The profile with the power and the bat play at third. He's a great on-base percentage guy. You just get to bench him for the month of April, and as soon as it hits <laughs> May first, keep him in your lineup, and he's gonna he's gonna hit 300 the rest of the year with 30 bombs and 20 steals. So um, I'm really excited for Tatis Jr. because I yeah. think that he could be another one of these guys uh, that can come up immediately and have a significant impact. You know, a la Acuna a la what, what what Vlad, I believe, and Eloy will be next year and what Juan Soto was this year. So if anything I've learned over the last few years, it's don't sleep on these high-end talents, especially if they play a premium position. So I'm going to Tease Jr. as my hitter.
2: I like it, yeah. I'm going uh, Tatis, and I, I, the other guy I'd bring into the conversation would be Royce Lewis, essentially. Um, I actually considered a guy like Nick Senzel, honestly, because I, I think that the positional versatility is something I considered here, just because if I'm able to have a guy, and this is probably the case for Tatis as well, is simply that you're, you your shortstop right now, you can stick it short. A lot of people think you can stick it short. A little bit bigger of a frame, but that doesn't really matter. More of the mold of the Correa-style shortstop, the larger shortstop than anything. But... The ability for that bet to play up a third is huge as well in terms of if he slows down later in his career, you can move him over there. That's still pretty... uh, high Caliber defensive position to fill in with one of your best players, but Lewis is another similar example. I know he's been rumored to play some outfield right now, he's sticking at shortstop. I really liked him when I saw him live at shortstop. I think his actions were fantastic, um, probably great enough for me as a plus defender, a future plus defender, so to speak. And then Sinzel, simply because I think that he's played a lot of positions, he played some outfield, played some short, he's played some second, he's played some third. It's he is really interesting to me in that respect, and I think that I don't know if he's like an impact guy to start a team with. But I think he's a guy that you have to bring into the consideration. You know, I, I think it's tougher to bring in consideration a guy, you know, even like Eloy, honestly, where he's, he's not going to be a good defender. I know you said he didn't really like his defense at all. Really, really yeah. good hitter, sure. But a lot of that value is going to be predicated on how well he's able to produce with the bat. And we think he's going to be able to produce very well. But if you could create a little bit of a baseline with some base running ability and with some defense on a guy like Tatis Lewis, or I even think Sinzel because I think he's about an average runner, that, that can result in a very, very valuable player. And if you go back to WAR models, you go back to anything like that on player evaluation side of things, I think that matters a lot. And I think it might be relatively overlooked, especially on some of these higher end talents. Um, Victor Robles is another one that I kind of bring into the mix. I really like what I saw from him late in this year. A lot of guys here, but I I definitely would go Tatis as my number one as well. So I think we're in consensus on that. Um, How about your pitcher, Ralph? Ralph.
1: Yeah, so in terms of my arm, I think you know where I'm going to go with this. I have to go with my short, very, very uh, talented, big stuff, short right-hander because I grew up on Pedro Martinez and that's my crack. So Mm -hmm. I like short righties. I got to take six You know, I'm going to take six I know there was an injury, but he's going to be back in the AFL. He's going to be pitching. I love the stuff though. He's I guess short in terms of his height. He's pretty thick in his lower half. He's very athletic. He's dynamic. The stuff is great. I just feel like if everything comes together for six this is one of those guys that can be a perennial top five pitcher. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bang out and I'm going to take six. I'm sure I know who you're going to go with. Um, mm-hmm. But this stuff is just too dynamic. The big fastball, the big breaking stuff. He's got to feel for a change. I mean, I don't know. It's just, if Sixto was healthy this year, I think we saw the emergence really begin. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. What, what are you, What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I think Sixto is, is is kind of falls into that Forrest Whitley caliber of guy to me, honestly. Where I, I just wish I had more of a baseline of how he's performed at varying levels. And I know this is very hypocritical for for who I'm gonna go with, but uh, but I, it's one of those things for me where I, I like Sixto a lot. I think that initially initially I was I was a little bit interested in what exactly would be how, how his strikeouts were gonna play out. I know it's a super small sample. He's one of those guys where the scat the stat sheet kind of deviated from everything else regarding him. And I was a little bit concerned in that respect, a little bit concerned that the strikeouts weren't coming through, that they weren't playing up at higher levels. But I know that's injury-based. I know that's because of the aggressive assignment. So the AFL for me on six, 0 was going to be a very, very strong baseline and understanding what exactly his talent level is long-term. Um, and it's going to be against good talent too. It's going to be against better talent that he's facing in the minor league. So I hope that they give him enough innings to get a bigger sample and really start to look at some of his pitches and stuff. That's what I want to, that's, I mean, he's one of the guys I'm, I think I'm excited most for in the AFL. Um, Um, and the other guy in consideration for this would be Forrest Whitley. Again, huge. Um, he's had a bunch of injuries, which again is concerning. I think they're a little more concerning than the guy I'm going to go with. It's injury who I've got kind of a bearing the lead on here, but, uh, but I, I like Forrest Whitley he was in consideration as well, but I'm gonna go with my guy Mackenzie Gore here. Um, lefty, obviously he's had a couple finger problems, but I'd rather have finger problems than the oblique and, and other varying problems that Forrest Whitley's had. So I like Mackenzie Gore a lot. I mean, I've seen him live twice, um, I just really, really like the package. I like that he's a lefty. I like his ability to mix four pitches. Um, he has four pitches. It's not one of those things where he's developing them. Uh, it goes back to the fact that everyone was saying his changeup was his best pitch, and then you go watch him, and the majority of the pitches he was throwing in, in low A in the Midwest League was was basically fastball, curveball, um, with very fleeting thoughts of a changeup. But man, I don't know if it's projection on that changeup or whatever. I didn't get really too many looks at it, but from what I did see, I liked it a lot. And um, he's just extremely athletic. He's got one of my favorite deliveries out of any of these guys, honestly. I'd like it more than even a guy like Force Whitley's. I think Whitley's is one with, uh, honestly, extremely impressive. The motion he's able to get with how big his frame is and how he's able to control his pitches, I do, I do submit that. But I'd almost rather take a guy who's – who's a little bit more athletic, I think. I think Mackenzie Gore is a little more athletic than Forrest Whitley. Um, I think Mackenzie Gore is just honestly a freak athlete and had very respect off the mound. So I guess that's a little bit more of an exception than anything. But Mackenzie Gore is my guy here. Multiple pitches. Um, I think next year is going to be huge for this. I think that the stock can shoot up much higher. I know that there was a lot of buzz around him being a top 10 guy. I think he's top 12 on, on the MLB pipeline list. I think he's in that same window for the Baseball Americas refined list that they actually just sent out. But Mackenzie Gore is my guy. Um, I, I really, really am looking forward to next year with him. And I yeah, that same goes for Sixto and same goes for Forrest Whitley as well because, you know, we haven't gotten the 110-inning samples of these guys through a full season, and I think that's extremely important for confidence in the players' projectability, confidence in the players' health and durability. That's, that's massive. So fingers crossed for that coming next year, hopefully up in high a for Mackenzie Gore. Um, r- just a quick thing on this, Ralph how if you're creating a team like this you're creating a franchise on the on the batter side of things going back to that very brief, very briefly how much do you value positionality in something like that do you, are you considering a guy you know even if his bad is has impact that it, either the fact that he can play center field is that important to you shortstop is that important to you do you like f- mobility would you rather kind of go with a guy like Kyle Tucker who's going to end up in a corner or is going to end up in a corner but you think the floor hit tools better how much did you bring in kind of positionality into this conversation
1: yeah, I think in respect to real life, you kind of need to consider it just just for the fact that it's a huge factor in the game, and it's a huge factor in what the overall value of what a player is, that if you can get a guy that has offensive value um, and maybe he's not as not as much of a sure thing as some other guys, and because I think that as much as we love Tatis and we think he's a great hitter, I think there's some case to be made that you could say, like, hey um, – you know, long-term um, projection-wise, Wander Franco might be better hitter than Tatis. You might say Alex Kiriloff mm-hmm. might have a higher floor as a hitter just because of the hit tool and the baseline of um, approach that he might be a better hitter than Tatis. But what if that guy, what Tatis has over all those other guys is his ability to play an above-average shortstop with a really strong arm, and I think that is a differentiator. And it'll be the same if we had a guy. Like Acuna versus maybe even Vlad, I think that in a real life scenario you might take Acuna because he can play center field and play a really or play a really strong right because he has a good arm. He's a leadoff hitter. He get you know um, that extra value on the bases. All those things do add up in real life to a little bit more value. Um, you know, it's one of those those things that like, would you rather have Bryce Harper? Or would you rather have Anthony Rendon when Rendon actually probably gives you a little bit more value, which is in some scenarios crazy because Harper is an awesome hitter, obviously, you know, tremendous. But then you look at the value you get from Rendon at the plate, plus what he does in the field. I think in real life that if you can have a team full of those guys, you're going to win a lot of games. You know, you don't have to have all the superstars if you have all the guys that are all around contributing players. And I think in some ways we kind of saw that with the Oakland A's this year, that they were able to develop, um, uh, they had a few guys that obviously, you know, came up to the major leagues and, you know, and Chapman and, and Olson, some of these guys that they developed themselves, some guys that they traded, some guys that they grabbed off, you know, waiver wire, uh, waiver wire off the free agent market or whatever. <laughs> um, they were able to plug in and do a lot of the little things well, even if they're not necessarily superstars. And that's why it was such a strong team this year. Um, mm-hmm. I think you need that, you know, you need, you need to have strength on defense. So ultimately in a really long winded way to answer your question. Yes. I think that defense and real life value is a significant differentiator, um, because it gets guys opportunities too. you know, and there's a reason for
2: that. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's very fair. I just want to make that point quickly. Um, let's jump over to our next segment. Biggest disappointments in 2018. Um, I, I think the disappointments may be not too strong of a word, but I think another way to look at it is kind of just guys here, maybe even guys who are just kind of a little worried about based yeah. on their performance or based on other things. Um, I guess I'll start with, I have two here. I know we have one here, Ralph. we probably could come up with another one pretty quickly, but my first one is Jorge Mateo. Um, <laughs> Mainly because I think that everyone saw a little bit of a breakout last year with him, a little bit of discipline improvement. We knew that it would never be, you know, 10-plus walk rate, sub-20K rate, but we thought it could hang in the 8% walk rate, 23% strikeout rate, which would be, I think, very serviceable for what he'd be able to add value-wise to a team on the defensive side of the ball, especially on the wheels side of the ball with his speed, which I know grades out around 70 Um ability to steal bases. And on, on fantasy teams, I think it was particularly interesting because of that. Especially because there was some power uptick too. So you were looking at a guy almost like of a almost like an Alberto and Alberto Mondesi role. Where he's hmm. able to steal, he's able to hit for a little bit of pop. And that just really hasn't happened. Uh, especially because that how he performed in 2018. The strikeout rate went up to 27% when he jumped up to Oakland's AAA team. Um, it, it, there's very little discipline in the plate. I think on both the pitch recognition and contactability side of things, it seems, which is probably the most concerning. I would, I would like to see only one of those issues. Um, if a guy's walking a ton and, and has a low average, it's probably more contact-based than anything, but he's able to recognize pitches. But it seems like Mateo's having issues on both sides, um, which isn't good. It means that he's probably flying a lot. flailing a lot. And if he's at the major league level right now, probably sits above 30% on the strikeout rate, which isn't good, again. Um, it's not encouraging. I think that there is a baseline here with the defensive value and with the plus runner value, which is very important and very important when you're looking at prospects like this and what they are be able to add at the major league level. He's going to be a plus base He's going to be a plus defender. But I, I just wish that there was some K rate. Uh, I wish it just even, even if it just stagnated, if it just stagnated from what he was doing with the A team, um, Stockton in, in the A system, and it kicked up to AAA and did the same thing, I'd be fine with that. I wouldn't call that a disappointment, but the fact that it ticked up so much between, and I know that AAA is obviously tougher than A, but it's not as big of a jump from high at AA. Um, So I was just a little bit concerned in that respect. I know you like Mateo a lot. And, um, it's, it's concerning uh, to see uh, this.
1: I had your two guys, 29 and 30 on my preseason top 100. Yeah. It's tough. That now they gotta be they outside right. the
2: top 50, right? Probably.
1: Oh, um, I'd say Close. they're probably, they're both outside the top 100. in this Really?
2: Season. Okay. Okay. I'd, there, I definitely seek out are, Mateo. Yeah. Mateo is so bad. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think Alfred was like one like Oh one. He's been
2: a guy. I feel like, well, I'm going to get into it. With
1: Mateo was like one hundred and fifteen. Yeah. We'll talk oh, about it in a minute. Yeah. Right. Who's your, who's your first one? So my first one, and I think this is going to be a bit of a hot take, but I want people to listen to me before they roll their eyes. So just <laughs> stick your eyes in your head, put the clockwork orange eye holders on. Yeah, so you're going to you. watch the ultraviolence. All right. And I'm going to say Forrest Whitley. And I'm going to say the reason he was the biggest disappointment for me in 2018, is we thought this guy was going to potentially pitch significant innings or at least some important innings down the stretch for the defending World Series champion. And we thought he was good enough to not just be in the rotation, but not like be in the middle of their rotation, not be the worst guy that was on, you know, on that staff by a long shot. We thought he actually had the ability to be, you know, the Houston prospect that breaks through and stays healthy and does all these things. Well, the first thing we had was the drug suspension and, you know, all the stuff that potential baggage that comes with that. He's a kid. I understand he made a mistake. We'll see what happens. Uh, We struggled a little bit. He got hurt again dealt with a handful of injuries. And it's just, I think you look at it, you look at all these guys that have been great prospects, made their way up, been on the cusp of the major leagues, and then they get hurt. Honeywell, um, you know, we're talking uh, Kopech. And who's the third one? that was just in my head a second ago that uh, uh, Honeywell, Kopech. Oh, Alex Reyes. And we have all Mm -hmm. these guys that are unbelievable talents, and then they get hurt. Well, if we have that risk inherently involved with pitching to begin with, and then we have a guy like this who potentially – because I don't think we can rule it out – potentially has some off-the-field issues, enough, enough so that he was suspended for it, okay? Maybe it was just a, a silly mistake, but whatever. And then we have a big guy who's a pitcher, and we all know that those bigger bodies, especially when you get up to the 6.5s and above, and and Forrest but least six seven, he's got to maintain his body. He's got to keep the maintenance up. We don't know if there's other off-the-field stuff that's going on there. He had a couple of injuries. He had – the the back injury that seems like every pitcher's getting nowadays. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm not discounting him a lot, but I think you have to take a step back. And if you're being objective about the season that just happened, Whitley was a disappointment. We did not get a lot of moments other than maybe a few weeks where Whitley was Whitley and he did what we hoped he would. He was he was hurt, had the off the field stuff. I, I think it just set a bad tone. You know, if if he had not been suspended he goes through all of his workouts. He goes into the season on a normal plan, no track. Maybe he doesn't get injured too, right? There's some of that stuff that goes into it that maybe he, he altered some of the things that he was doing. I don't know so much about that. It would be interesting to maybe dig in on it. I don't want to completely write the kid off. I still have him as a top 25 prospect. I still like the future. But I think that if you're being objective, you have to take a step back and say, a year ago, Forrest Whitley didn't have the risk that he has now, despite Absolutely. being young. Yeah despite being younger. So I think that when I look at it, that's a disappointment because he, he was hurt and he obviously made some poor choices that led to where he is. So he's responsible for that, you know, and, and I, and Hey, I'm not one to, to knock kids for being kids and doing stuff. But mm-hmm. the other, the difference was when I was 19, 20 years old, I, I was a college student, you know, it's different, I, yeah. I worked, I worked in a fish market, you know, I didn't have this opportunity in front of me. Um, so I think you just, you got to be, you got to be cautious nowadays with what you're putting in your body and what you're doing. It's not the 1980s any longer. You can't get away with some of that stuff. It's true. You know I mean? I think that that's the difference. Remember when talks about baseball is broken, we need more athletes. These guys are athletes. These guys are so much more committed to their craft than they were 20, 30 years ago. When you think about some of the workouts, some of the time it's spent and for some of these guys that do get to the next level and flourish, despite maybe not having as much pedigree as a, as a Whitley, it's because they put in that time, they put in that work and they make the most of their talent. And that's, what's great about baseball. So, um, Forrest Whitley, man, get in your grizzle this, this off season. get healthy, get focused, come back and you know, don't be a disappointment.
0: <laughs> I don't, <laughs> don't think be. you, I don't think you
1: can be overly <laughs> impressive because we all think you're great. Right. Yeah, we all yeah. think he's great. Just don't be a disappointment. You know, Absolutely. come back, get focused, and let's let's see the Forrest Whitley that we were all hoping for. Yeah,
2: my other one was Anthony Alfred, as I very briefly alluded to there. Um, he's another guy, and I, going back to what you wanted, what we were saying, you know, is this he slot into the top 100? I think there's obviously a case for him. I think that the, the reason for that is that there's always been a tolerance with him, the tolerance that he's obviously coming over from another sport, he's still learning the game, and everyone was like, well, I'm keeping him inside the top 75 to 25 or whatever window you want to call, because I think that you know. Given given reps, given all these things, given all these intangibles and other things, he figures out that he will be an average major league player with a lot of tools, a lot of power, a lot of hit. Um, maybe not so much hit, but a lot of power, a lot of speed, a lot of arm. You know, Versatility, I guess, going back to this kind of positional argument we were talking about. So I think that was one of the reasons why people were willing to tolerate a high K rate, low average, and all these other things. But to me, we're getting to a point now where... I get that the argument that he's still adjusting to the sport is there. He will always still be adjusting to the sport, I think, because he did not get a lot of these reps kids get who play throughout their career. You know, play in Little League, play all the way up through. I'm sure he did that a lot, but he was obviously playing other sports. So he hasn't seen high-level pitching enough. But I think to some extent, now that we've gone through almost two seasons of this argument, that we're getting it's getting a little burned out in that respect. We're getting to the point where I'd rather just see production now as opposed to the continuing to make the argument that he's still adjusting to the sport. I think that that kind of almost has like a... I don't know if you want to call it like a statute of limitations on it or whatever, but there's a point at which after a while you no longer, I think, can rely on that argument as much. And I think there's a point where I just want to see production from him. And I know he's probably not fit for the major level right now. He's striking out around like 40% of the time um, in each of the samples he's gotten here, which I'm concerned with. But I, I just there's a point at which I have to discount him. For his production. Because we've had two years of this now. And I know he's been injured I know there's been a lot of other things. But to me, it just seems like there's perpetual excuses with him. And I I haven't seen, you know, the point where he's striking out at a reasonable rate and in any respect. And I think that's the most concerning to me. I mean, if we're if we're bringing in all these other arguments and he's he has a good he has good discipline, he's his K rate's kind of around that 20 percent or twenty-four percent or whatever one do you want to call that, I think is acceptable. Um, I'm fine with that. But it's up and around twenty-eight percent. He's not walking that much, he's not striking out too much and his average is around like 240 and I'm concerned around that. I just think there's a point at which we have to just kind of suck it up with him and say that maybe he's not as good as we thought he was and I'm fine with waiting and I'm fine with letting him kind of even out and possibly get that K rate down but to me it seems like it's going to be very hard for him to cut that K rate by 10% within the next year or two unless he does dramatic, dramatic changes and everything clicks and I guess I just would rather not bet on that so I'd consider him not a disappointment but gotten a little worried with I'd consider Mateo maybe more of a disappointment on the Alfred side. I don't know if you had anyone else, Ralph. Um, I do.
1: I do. I wanted to keep it. I wanted to keep it a surprise. Oh, okay, cool. Let's hear that. it. Cause <laughs> there's a bunch. And I actually what well, before we jump into like the last segment of the show here, I actually think it would be fun if we went through, uh, my top 50 and just hit on this. Like there's an insane amount of disappointments that were in my preseason sure, 2018 sure. top 50. Um, I have it in front of me, so I'll read off some names. This guy was 38th on my list. And I think we just, we now granted he was traded in the offseason to Miami, um, not Lewis Brinson, Monty Harrison. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we all hoped he would take a step forward from um, a hit tool perspective, that it would just grow a little bit. I don't think any of us ever think he's going to be great. The ceiling for me is like a 260 hitter. More than likely, it's more like 240. But for me this year, when I look at what I got out of uh, Harrison, he had some power, still had some steals. But it wasn't enough. And I think at this point, the hit tool has really, really dragged down the profile with Harrison. And there's a lot of growth that needs to be done in the offseason. He's a Cressy guy. And I know I have Cressy down the road for me and and, and Hudson. Cressy's not too far down the road from Jason Woodell in Florida, (laughs) the two locations that they have. We both sort of follow him. I follow Harrison because he was a guy that Cressy was really into this, this off season in terms of his workouts, because he's an incredibly hard worker and he's unbelievably athletic. So there's a lot of things that he can do that a lot of other guys can't, but that explosion, that athleticism, it doesn't matter if you don't have the baseline hit tool skills. It's funny. Sometimes you wish you could take the hit tool on a guy like Max Schrock, who has like nothing else going for him, <laughs> and somehow inject it into Monty Harrison and just make the superstar. Because if he ever figures it out and he can get his strikeouts down to about twenty five percent, and he can become a an, like a two fifty hitter, I, as I say, two forty to two fifty, this guy can be an effective player because he has defensive value. He's got value on the base paths, and he can drive in runs. Um, he could be that, you know, sort of wildly frustrating, but, um, but, but maddeningly exciting, um, player like Carlos Gomez kind of was in his heyday, but he had a bad year from Harrison. And I think that, I think Jason put a 20 on the hit tool. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, it's bad. Yeah. He's not just chasing stuff outside of the zone, which is a big part of, you know, that hit tool, that approach he's missing on stuff in the zone. There's holes in the swing. Um, that's an issue. So for me, yeah, Monty Harrison is, is my number two disappointment, but I think it'd be interesting. If we go, if we count down here from 50 and we just look at all the guys that kind of had disappointing seasons, 50, I had Austin Riley, I think for that ranking, probably not a disappointing season. He was hurt a little bit, but I won't shade him too much on that. I moved him up a lot, so Mm -hmm. I can't Ryan Mountcastle. I don't think we would consider that a disappointing season. Tyler O'Neill 48. I don't think we would consider that a disappointing season. Now we start to get into some of the disappointments. Forty-seven, Jemai Jones, still an above-average player. He still had a WRC plus because I just rated him out for the uh, fall league. That's the reason I know that of uh, above league league average while moving to second base and being uh, twenty years old. Um, for the most, I think he turned twenty-one in August. So most of his year where he played in high A and then double A was as a twenty-year-old at a new position or an old position because he was a second baseman uh, in his prep days. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to shade him too much, but it wasn't a great season. Keller at 46, who I think was up and down. Luis Gohara at 45, who I think was up and down. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, who didn't have a bad season in the Eastern league, didn't strike out as many guys as we hoped. Leote Tavares, who we talked about, I think last week. Julio um, H- Ramos, who's kind of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Michael Chavez, who was then suspended for PEDs. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin Meadows, who was kind of disjointed this season. Um, and Barreto. It's funny. Like you go through all these guys. None of these guys were overly impressive. Monty Harrison. Jesus Sanchez was good. He moved up. Yep. Luis Urias was pretty good. He moved up. Mm-hmm. Walker Bueller at 35 was tremendous. Obviously he moved up. Oh, yeah. uh, Mich- Michelle Baez was was good. Not great, but good. AJ Puck at 33. He had Tommy John surgery. Uh, Kesson Huria was good. He moved up. Ryan McMahon just got jerked around by the Rockies. Uh, Jorge Mateo, 30. Anthony Alford, 29, then there's Gore, Sixto at 27, Mid Allen duhard 26, Soto at 25, who obviously should have been significantly higher, but we just didn't have that much of a sample size with Soto. Um, Adele, 24, Trammell. Yeah, and then you have, like, Austin Hayes at 21 was a disappointment. Willie Calhoun at 20 was a disappointment. Florio at 19, Alex Reyes at 18. I think there's some shade you could throw at those guys. Whitley was 16, Louis, Louis Robert, 15, Um, and then it's pretty good with the exception of like Lewis Brinson and Scott Kingery at 10 and nine. But I think you can also make the case. Those guys are both major leaguers from the outset. So there is some value there as well. But it's funny to look back in a year where I felt like there was a lot of good prospects. We had a kind of a lot of disappointing guys, huh? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah I, there were a lot <laughs> i feel like this happens i mean there's always turnover on like top 50s and stuff like that you're gonna get guys with disappointments but it seems like there was such a high concentration of them i didn't there's names are obviously that went up but it seemed like they were few and far between next to guys who just kind of you went you shrug on almost which is crazy so but no you're you're 100 right it's very interesting
1: um what do you say we jump into a rotoware ad all right, and this is the time of the show where we give a shout-out to our boys over, or a boy, I guess, boy, Individual. singular boy. Yeah. <laughs> our friend, Kenneth underscore Cashman at Kenneth underscore Cashman on Twitter, as well as at roto Everybody is rocking roto shirts. I talked about how Alex Rodriguez was rocking them last week. We got more famous people. Just go check out the page. He's putting out great stuff all the time. But today, I come to you asking that you go over to rotoware.com and you purchase a Prospect Live t-shirt. We have three different colors of the Prospect Live t-shirt. I want to support Kenny. I want to give a shout out to him. He helped us out tremendously by doing all the branding for the site. He put in some work on the side for us as a friend, as someone that was involved in this from the jump. And the way that we can support him is by buying the Prospect Live t-shirts and paying Kenny back for all that he's done for our branding oh, and yeah. for our, our site. So, I, and he actually gave me a ton of advice in the back end. So I know this is kind of a personal ad, but Hey, we like to change it up and I, and I like to give some love So go buy a prospect live t-shirt. I don't, I think if you sign up for his mailing list, you get 10% off all of um, your purchase on the site, including all the road Wear classic stuff, uh, which is all the stuff that he had partnered with Amazon on. I know he's bringing some stuff inside. He's changing some things up. He's added some more shirts. You can always go back and use our promo code SAGNOF to, use, to get 20% off all of the classic Roto brand shirts. So, not RotoWear classic, but all the RotoWear shirts that, um, you know, the highest, highest quality ones, the ones that he put out at the beginning of the season, the ones that are a little bit more expensive, you get a 20% discount off of those with our SAGNOFF code. So, use that there, but please go over and buy some Prospect Live shirts, support Kenny, give back for him helping us. I know I've bought a few, Matt Thompson bought three. Um, I feel like every pre- paycheck, I got to buy three more shirts, <laughs> people in my family. So everyone can be Working walking the around budget. Hey, and, and by the way, it's an awesome symbol because Kenny knows what he's doing and everything that he makes is dope. So I'm going to give a shout out to him. Thank you. Roto wear. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Buy prospect live shirts.
2: <laughs> love it. I love it. Kenny's the man. Absolutely. Roto.com. Uh is a promo code. I don't even know. We can come up with another promo code for yes. prospects live or something, but, uh, at Roto on Twitter, at Kenneth underscore Cashman on Twitter as well. Ralph, let's close out the show with a little D.L. Hall talk late last night uh, in the in the waning hours of the morning. I don't know if that's uh, – that's <laughs> not the right word. I don't know. But uh, D.L. Hall, you sent me over your Orioles list, and I did not know much about the Orioles list. It was probably one of the reasons why I uh, was a little bit incompetent in my D.L. Hall knowledge. But you were telling me that – I was basically interested in Hayes under D.L. Hall. So that's the one thing I guess we're at least about this list is that you have D.L. Hall, I think, three, and you have Hayes four. And I was just like, oh, interesting. I know you were pretty on Hayes for a while. I know he's a pretty good kind of baseline, everything. I know he was injured, et cetera. But, you know, I asked basically why D.L. Hall. And you were like, wow, D.L. Hall's taking a step forward. And I was like, really? I didn't know that. I remembered him as a lefty, a uh, hard thrower, high school kid. I believe he had an injury, if I remember correctly. I'm not 100% sure on that, in 2017. But came back in 2018 through 94 innings, 94 in a third innings, with a 2-1 ERA, 3.67 FIP. He's a lefty, 6-2-1-95. Fastball curveball change, changeup still projecting. Fastball curveball are the, are the better pitches. Really fluid delivery. I started watching some tape. I was very impressed from the left side. A little bit lower, three-quarters arm slot. Um, crossed the body pretty well. Very good lower half extension, lower half engagement. I liked what I saw overall from him. Um... 26% strike rate, 11% walk rate. Obviously, has to work a little bit on the control, but I'm fine with projecting that out to be average with his delivery and how smooth it is, and there's really no hitch. It's a good lower half engagement, as I said, and I tend to kind of fall back on that if I'm going to project out a guy control-wise. 1.17 whip with a sub-200 average against. Yeah, he's taken a, a bit of a jump here, and I wanted you to kind of break down what you saw in him um, and just your general thoughts on putting him three on that list ahead of a guy like maybe Grace Rodriguez. Um, you know, it's interesting. They, they seem to have, the Orioles seem to have some depth of pitching gear. I did not realize the step deal hall took forward. So I wanted you to kind of basically reiterate what you told me, uh, last night that I think was important to hear.
1: Yeah. And I'll say that on the scrum, we'll probably have this conversation. Uh, if you haven't been listening, listen to our prospect live prospect scrums. What we do is after every top 30 risk list is written. And before it is released on the site, we record a podcast where we bring all the guys on. We go through the list. We discuss who we like better maybe than, than the guy that was the writer or the, the main speaker and how it was ranked. I'm probably going to have some conversations on D.L. Hall versus Grayson Rodriguez. But for me, we've seen Hall for the entirety of a season pitch 90 innings. Um, second half, if you look at what his numbers were in the second half, he was absolutely tremendous in the second half this year. I want to pull up the numbers here and sort of read through them, but, um, 53 and two thirds innings. He allowed 32 hits posted a 0.84 ERA. That was in the outings. Um, he typically didn't go more than 90 pitches. He, he kept it in that 80 to 90 pitch range typically through shorter outings, which I'm perfectly fine with, but a kid out of high school, his first full season in a full season level, pitching well, taking on a decent amount of innings and showing something that to me I really am excited about. And that's the way that he tunnels his fastball with his curveball and has the ability to land his fastball and curveball for strikes. This the fastball he's willing to to sort of work all the different quadrants. Um I saw him locating stuff low outside, low inside, high and up on guys hands that he knew would get he'd get some chases. It seemed like he had a good understanding of sequencing and the stuff has a lot of movement and it's nasty and it's tough out of his hand. To really differentiate between that curveball and that fastball, you really don't know until it hits the dirt in front of the plate that all of a sudden it drops six or seven inches. So um, I'm really impressed with that combination of pitches. There was some feel for a changeup as well, but when you see the pitch ability, you see the guy has the stuff, he's got the pedigree, and he comes out and he far exceeds your expectations. That's a guy that I have to rank highly. He was ranked by Baseball America as the number one prospect in the Saudi League. I know that John Calvagno has been singing his praises as well as some of the Orioles guys that I follow uh, on Twitter and, and and do talk with a little bit. So um, I know Jason Panini said that he would rather have Grayson Rodriguez. And I think that that's a very logical um, conclusion to come to. If you rank him second or third in the system or fourth and you wanted to flip him with Hayes, I can totally see that. I'm going with Hall because I think this guy has at least number two sort of upside with the the pitch mix that he has. The way that he throws, um, relatively easy velocity. It's not a, a real labored uh, effort. It's it's a three-quarters delivery. It's not a low three-quarters, a little bit higher in the terms of the three-quarters, but I always like when the lefties have a little bit of deception in terms of what the arm angle is and how the ball comes out of their hands. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Hall. I think he's one of the more exciting guys. It's a little bit under the radar, um, and I think he gets dragged a little bit because he is that Baltimore Orioles prospect. Let's hope with Duquette moving on that potentially the organization is going to change the strategy a little bit on the international market. Maybe that they, they knew Duquette was uh, gone at the end of the season and him acquiring some of that international money was part of setting things up for the new regime. it be interesting to see who they hire, who they bring in as a manager, because they've had a very old school, almost mid-90s sort of approach to how they've managed their team. And that's why it hasn't worked. So, That should be exciting for all the players involved in the system, in particular Hall, who, despite this, um, I guess, uh, 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 I don't want to say struggle, but but potential hurdle that he had with the organization that he was working with. Mm -hmm. He still managed to come out and push. And I'm a fan. Um, And he locates pretty well to both sides. He dominates. He eats up lefties, obviously. Yeah, for um, sure. A slot; it's very hard to pick up. Yeah, it'd be it be excellent. It'd be nice to see him try to try to add maybe uh, or improve his third pitch and fourth pitch, so that you know he could potentially um, you know eat up right-handers a little bit more. There were some times I saw him struggle there, especially when he's locating that uh, that high fastball because he's kind of got to throw it across his body, so maybe it's a little bit easier for righties to pick up. If we're going to come with something that's knocking them. Um, I know that Jason and Jason got a ton of looks and Grayson Rodriguez, uh, in instructs. Um, so maybe they have some perspective on this. It should be interesting in the show this weekend, uh, to hear why they, why they decided to go the uh, direction that they did.
2: Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we have anything else to talk about, Ralph. This is a pretty tight show. We can keep it under an hour here. So, uh, any, any parting thoughts or anything? What are you, what are you looking at? Going forward. Um, um,
1: Yeah, just go go check out the uh, top 75 hitters that we yeah, ranked yeah, out on Prospects Live. I have an ex- Xavier uh, Edwards post that should be posted on Saturday afternoon recording this. Uh, so that's because if you're in the future, you should have already Yesterday. read that post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have the Orioles coming out, the Yankees coming out this week. So uh, those should be two exciting posts, two AL East teams to discuss. Yep. Um, as a Red Sox fan, I'm hoping that – we're going to help out the Yankees after they get swept by the Red Sox. The Yankees fans can then wake up the next morning and read all about their 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 uh, uh, embarrassment of riches in the minor leagues. I doubt that happens, but it would be a little bit fun. Uh, shout out to all my Yankees fans that are out there. Sorry for uh, going a little tribal on you for the Red Sox. <laughs> but, uh, it's the time of the year for us to do that. It's the time Absolutely. of the year that tribalism comes out. Um, looks like the Dodgers are going to bury the Braves uh, yeah. after those first two games. Um, with BYU, playoff yeah, time
2: yeah good stuff man good stuff yeah playoffs are fun so we'll, we'll definitely eh, maybe if we have any big prospect performances out of that um any more yes. Terrence Gores <laughs> you know, we'll talk about him he's not a prospect anyways yeah. <laughs> oh
1: last thing I want to say yeah. go on to our page review us give us a five-star review give us a give us a uh, a review say something nice about us go on to the prospect live feed give us a five-star review say something nice about us that's the way that if you value all this information, we don't charge for it. I'm a, I'm a fantasy baseball socialist. I'm not trying to steal out of your pockets. I'm not stealing your information with ads. We're actually going to go to a, an advertiser model where we actually have partners that, that pay for advertising space. We're not taking anything from you. We're not slowing down the runtime of the site. If you support that, please, the way that you can do it, you can share our articles. You can like our articles. You can tell people about them. You can put them on your Facebook page. You can put them on your Twitter. You can post them up on Reddit you can review and like us on iTunes and Stitcher and all the other apps that you have. That's the way that as part of the community, you can help us out to get this information out here, to help us grow, to help us be a bigger name so we can get access to more information on the back end from teams, from agencies, from everything else. We have a lot of interesting stuff that we're trying to work on here at prospects live. So I encourage you to support us the way Razzball supported us, allowing us to partner with them uh, and all the other guys and readers and everybody else on Twitter, big shots to you guys, but uh, we need more, we need more love more help. Um, Teamwork makes the dream work, you know? That's it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) On that note, everyone enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you guys next week.